Welcome to the Twinkle Talks EYFS podcast. Working in the early years is busy, funny, messy and exhausting. Join me, Shana, and the rest of the Twinkle EYFS team as we talk honestly about our experiences as practitioners, teachers and professional nappy changers. Whether you're listening to increase your CPD hours or catching up on our antics whilst driving home from work, Twinkle EYFS will share everything you need to know about all things early years. Hello, lovely listeners. It's so good to have you back. Welcome to another episode of Twinkle Talks EYFS. And I'm sure that quite a lot of you who are listening right now are enjoying your summer holidays, which is super exciting. If you're lucky enough to have a break, congratulations. I hope you've had so much time to rest and recuperate. You super, super need it. And in light of September coming up, we really wanted to talk about the term school readiness and what that means. But first, as usual, we have a super cute segment before we get into the main event. And this episode segment will be Praise a Practitioner. Let's take a listen. Linda Diffley got in touch a few weeks back to say that she had had Ofsted and then the week after had seven staff off sick and they had to close the day after as they only had five staff left and had three children needing one-to-one. Their setting has had chickenpox, COVID, sickness bugs and they really could not wait for the break. So we wanted to take some time to celebrate you Linda and your wonderful staff for getting through such a challenging time. Well done. I hope you've been able to rest the summer. We'd also love to celebrate Rosanna Mahmood, who has written in to tell us that they had a small win this week as an elective mute started speaking. It was so exciting. Not that we showed her. We were very cool and calm, but underneath we were buzzing. Oh, that's such good news. Well done, Rosanna and your team. And lastly, this week, we'd love to celebrate Jenny Hodkin. This is a bit of a funny one and actually quite relatable. She can confidently say that she came into contact with no bodily fluids for once. Now that is a major achievement. Congratulations. That's it for this week's Praise and Practitioner. But if you've got anybody in mind or you feel like you need celebrating yourself, let us know. Get in contact and you could be featured in the next segment. I mean, that last one, Jenny, you came into contact with no bodily fluids. Are you sure? Are you sure you were in early years? Because there's a lot. I'm not jealous at all. Congratulations. That that <laughs> is really difficult not to do. Well done. But now we've finished with our praise of practitioner segment, it's time to get into the nitty gritty of today's topic. And a lot of you will probably be very familiar with this term. We're going to be talking about the term school readiness and what it means. <laughs> Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the term school readiness, it doesn't exactly fill me with positivity. Um, But let's go and have a look at the actual definition from what I've been looking at online. I've done quite a bit of research on this and a lot of places are generally saying the same thing. So I'll just give you a couple here. Pacey.org defines school ready as having strong social skills, can cope emotionally with being separated from parents, are relatively independent in their own personal care 
and have a curiosity about the world and a desire to learn. Now, this was based on their research into what carers, teachers, parents, and children felt being school ready really means. So they actually asked people in early years rather than just doing a study, which I think was quite good. Twinkle have their own wiki page on school readiness, and I'll put the link in the description of this episode so you can go and have a look yourself. And they say it's defined in terms of the aspects of the school environment that support a smooth transition for children and their families into primary school and advanced learning for all children. So there's just a slight difference here where the focus is on what is the school, what is the setting doing to support children and families, which I also agree is quite is quite nice because And we'll go into it a bit more later, but I do believe that is one of the myths about school readiness. They go on to say, it is also the idea that parents and carers should support a child's growth and development in order to prepare them to start school in nursery or reception. The characteristics of school readiness involve standards of intellectual, physical and social development, which allows children to meet requirements and cope with the school curriculum. Now, I think what's important to note here is that that really kind of as well as what Pacey and their research say, really ties in nicely with the early years curriculum. So as you know, we've got seven areas of learning, but the three prime areas are communication and language, physical development, and personal, social, and emotional development. Those are the basic key areas that all early years practitioners focus on. And in terms of being school ready, that's where they start as well, which is really, really important. So where did the term school readiness really come from? What's its history Uh, is is what I'd like to know. Um, The concept of being ready for school was actually uh, developed by Piaget's theory in 1936. 1936, guys, that was nearly 100 years ago. I don't want to, you know, be political or anything, but that might give us an idea that it's slightly outdated. I don't know. So... The factors of cognitive development alongside maturity and growth were used to figure out what the child learned, essentially, in this theory and what school readiness meant. But when they did research, it came to light that children's abilities were very much underestimated. (gasps) Shock horror. That's something we're not used to at all in early years. Hmm. So this underpinned a lot of factors within his theory. But teachers still use this theory today. Some. I actually don't agree with that. I think especially because of COVID, I think that's not the case anymore. But the teachers that do use it only use it in order to gain a better understanding of children's thinking. They don't actually, you know, make it a strict, they're not ready for school, which is really good. I'm glad to hear that. Then if we fast forward about 50 years, in the 1980s, projects and articles uh, began to form in relation to the history of early childhood education, which is a very long time to wait. But there we are. And then at the start of 2010, a school readiness assessment committee was formed where experts and educators drove school readiness initiative throughout the Department of Implementation. Hmm. Again, that was about 12 years ago now. So, you know, things have definitely changed, I would even say from there. And the big C, COVID, has had an impact. We'll go into that a bit more later because this then brings me on to the myths of school readiness and what that means. So there are a couple of myths that I've come across um, during not only my time as a teacher, but also things that I thought, you know, when I was training and when I was a student teacher. So I'll just go through a couple of them and I'm sure a lot of them are going to be really familiar to you. 
And this is really important for parents, I think, as well. So hopefully a lot of parents are listening to this episode because we're here to bash these myths for you. First one, school readiness means that my child can recognize every letter of the alphabet. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. That's a, that's a complete myth. Absolute complete myth. No, they don't need to do that. <laughs> uh, parents, if you're listening, it's wonderful that you're working on the alphabet with your children. That's I would never not encourage that. But to say that you need to do that for your children to be ready for school. No, don't be silly. No, no. We're categorically here to tell you that's not the case. I promise. Second myth. Your child needs to be able to count and recognize numbers up to 20. Uh-uh. Nope, not at all. <laughs> Again, uh, wonderful that you're working on numbers with your children. And we would always encourage parents and carers and families to be involved in children's learning at home. 100%. That's great. Do they need it to start nursery or preschool or reception? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Just think of the rule. Is it in the prime area? Then no, you don't need to do it. You know, uh, that's my rule for everything <laughs> for parents when they're starting school readiness anyway if they're not in communication language physical development or PSDD which is personal social and emotional do you really need to focus on it right now so that they are quote unquote ready for school no 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 that's okay that's our job that's cool we got this myth number three your child needs to be able to write and recognize their name Look, I'm not going to lie, it's a handy skill to at least recognize it because, you know, labels, etc., etc. Do they need it? Of course they don't. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Again, that's something that would take time and we can collaborate with that with parents, with other practitioners while they are in preschool and nursery and reception. That's what they are going to learn in their early years. That's fine. Remember my rule, is it in one of the three prime areas? No? Okay, then leave it. That's fine. <laughs> We've got the prime areas as a focus for a reason. Let's work on those. And my fourth myth that I would like to bust for you today is that the onus is on you as a parent. Absolutely not. There's this overwhelming amount of pressure, I think. And especially when I was getting a new cohort and you know, uh, parents and families and children were coming to look at the new setting. They were coming to the nursery. They were coming to reception in July, doing those visits, doing those walk arounds, doing those parent presentation evenings. And I, and I felt, I felt the tension. I felt how anxious families were feeling about, oh, is my child ready? Can, you know, can they do this? What is expected of them? And it's tough. It's really tough for parents. And actually, especially I think because of COVID, Putting the complete onus on you is absolutely not the case anymore. Absolutely not. Um, it shouldn't really have been anyway, but, you know, at least we can see things are, uh, are changing, that it is a collaborative aspect, okay? It's not down to just the parents to make sure that they are ready. Um, and I'll go into a bit more about why later. Now, you might be a parent listening to this thinking, okay, this is great. Uh, there's no pressure. I don't really need to do anything, but I would like to do something over the summer holidays. I'd like to do some activities, fill the time while at the same time getting them ready for school, two birds, one stone. What can I do? I know I don't have to, but I would like to. What can I do? Well, 
if you are asking for things to do, then Twinkle itself does have a couple of things um, that you could do just for fun. I really would like to reiterate just for fun. You do not have to do this. If your child does not do this, it does not mean they're not ready for school. But what you could do is perhaps maybe your settings will have given you maybe summer packs or a transition form or a transition booklet. Perhaps it's got pictures of their new classroom, their new teachers, Perhaps it's even got little activities to help the teachers learn more about them when they come into school. Perhaps it tells them about, can they draw a picture of their favorite animal? What's their favorite color? What food do they not like to eat? You know, things like that. Or if they haven't provided it with you, perhaps you could do it anyway. Make a little booklet all about me that you can hand to your teacher on the first day. That'd be quite cute. It's also really good to talk to your child about what school is like and what to expect. So you might have visited the school already, perhaps looking at the school website, perhaps even taking that morning walk during the summer holidays so that they get used to the idea of getting up early in the morning or whenever their session starts and making that journey. You could also get some lovely books about starting school and Harry and his bucket full of dinosaurs first day of school, you know, things like that. There's loads of books out there that help prepare children in fun and engaging books. Uh, to help them get ready. We've got some as well. The one that we've got at Twinkle that's really nice is The Cautious Caterpillar. And it's a really sweet, really colorful book about change. And it's really good for transition. So you can go and have a look at that on the website. And there's other back to school books that you can go and have a look at as well. But in terms of maybe skills that you could work on, you could maybe do games about turn taking, sharing, uh, following rules or listening and group time. You know, like um, even simple games like Simon Says. That covers a lot of the bases, doesn't it? If you're maybe wanting to work on emotional skills, it's about developing your children's self-confidence. Also about teaching them about others' emotions as well as their own, showing empathy, and also being confident in their own skin. So being able to separate from parents and carers as confidently as they can. They're not going to get it straight away, of course. They're three. (laughs) In terms of physical, you know, can you take them perhaps maybe to a park if you haven't got a garden? Can they practice things like running, climbing, balancing, even just a lovely game of throwing and catching a ball, you know? Uh, In terms of fine motor skills, perhaps maybe just exploring different materials, maybe drawing, cutting, gluing, um, painting, just exploring different materials. They don't have to be good at it. In terms of communication and language, it's all about listening, um, responding as well, and maybe developing their vocabulary. But I would say, especially if... Um, English is not your first language and we can help you with this as well so please be very open with your settings is just communicating their basic needs do they know the word for toilet do they know the word for hungry drink milk sad hurt you know just so that even if English is not their first language we can work with them and and still be able to fulfill their basic needs Maybe in terms of self-help skills, beginning to use the toilet independently, perhaps maybe learning how to wipe their bottom, perhaps maybe learning how to take off their shoes, put on their coat and things like that. So if you really would like to, as a parent or carer, work on some skills to get them ready, I would, yeah, I would recommend them from Twinkle. Again, you don't have to, but it'd be nice to. And it might be really fun for your children. Perhaps they really want to get ready for school too and they want to feel like grown up. So those are a couple of things as well. So yeah, if you really do need anything, you, you know, we're always here. We, we at Twinkle try really hard to make sure that, you know, we're here for you. So if you haven't already, 
come and find us on our social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, like pretty much everything. And we've got really, really lovely Facebook community groups. We've got a reception group, a nursery group, an early years group, a parent group. We've got loads, loads of different groups that you can join. And not only are Twinkle uh, members there to help answer your questions about anything, but they're amazing communities of people who are in exactly the same position as you. Twinkle Parents is absolutely fabulous. They do great videos and hacks, by the way. And we actually did do a couple of lives with them about school readiness. So go and find them if you can. But we're always here for you. And the community is here for you as well. Okay, so even for me, I think... And I'm sure a lot of you agree because I have asked um, you guys about your thoughts on the term school readiness um, on our social media. So thank you to everybody that took part. It was amazing to see your responses. How COVID has had an effect on the term school readiness. I mean, COVID's not over yet, is it? Of course it's not. But during when it first came out and in its real dark times when it was really difficult and (laughs) schools obviously did not close despite what the media say. You had to still be open with key workers, childcare, day services, day nurseries still carried on. And then schools had to do virtual online learning, which was a whole other board game in itself. Um, yeah, I was there. That was interesting. And there were just, there were so many challenges. And then after that, in 2021, you then got the cohort of children who spent their early years maybe from birth, from one years old, two years old, coming into preschools, coming into nurseries, coming into reception without being in an earlier setting at all, not even being able to go outside, not being able to go to the shop, not being able to visit friends, family, neighbors. It was just, I mean, when you think back, it's crazy, isn't it? What these children and what we had to go through. So when you think about it, of course, COVID is going to have an impact on how ready children are for school. And I think it forced a lot of settings and a lot of people higher up, you know, policymakers, et cetera, et cetera, really take a step back and think. Because clearly, A, it showed how amazing earlier settings are, how amazing childminders are, how amazing day nurseries, private nurseries, the lot are. Because you take that away And you could see the children really struggled. You know, they had no social skills. They didn't know how to look after themselves. They didn't have independence. Their communication and language skills were lower because they hadn't had the opportunity to talk to others. You know, they were just stuck in their house all day, every day. And the lucky ones were the children who had a garden, you know. And of course, those are our three prime areas. And they were the most impacted for all of us. So it really had to make them stop and think, hang on a minute, they are so far behind what we thought school readiness would mean. How on earth are we going to plug that gap? And I would like to say that they finally started to listen to earliest practitioners (laughs) because we've been saying this from the off, have we not? I don't want to big us up or anything, but you know, it's not about the gaps that they come with and having the parents try and fill that gap over the summer and try and do this, this, this. Actually, I think COVID really made it flip it on its head and go, hang on a minute. Children have just been through a horrendous two years. And you know what? Not just the children, the parents and families and carers too. 
How on earth are we as settings, as schools, as the government, as policymakers, supporting our future children, our future families, our future cohorts? How are we doing that? I think it really started a shift in what we think about that. And like I said, I truly believe that the majority of earliest practitioners already knew this. It's not about making the child meet the curriculum before they get there. It's about what we are doing to support them. Where, what, what are we doing? Are we meeting them where they're at? Where are these children at? Do we know these children well enough to know what starting point we should start with these unique children? And I think even the term school readiness is kind of now a myth in itself, which I'm really grateful for. And this is why I'm doing this episode. You know, I'm trying to <laughs> inadvertently say, what, what is it? What is it? There's no such thing. There's no such thing as school readiness. Okay. Every child is unique. Every child is different. We're still in COVID. Okay. We're all recovering emotionally, physically, mentally, psychologically, financially. It's horrendous. I don't think we're going to recover for a while. I mean, take a look at the petrol prices, the cost of living prices, and that affects families massively, young children massively, of course, settings massively. A lot of settings have to provide food and resources and there's no budget. So it's what our schools doing, what our settings doing to help our families and our children. But also, I think there is another level to that because as amazing as we are, and we are amazing, we all know that we're early years, we're we're pretty cool. There's only so much we can do. And what are the people higher up doing to support us? I've seen a lot of really, you know, well, terrifying articles and especially on our social media, people getting in contact with us, you know, sharing articles about the cost of living and the impact on nurseries and about the whole Um, the milk situation and not paying for milk and the admin of those forms anymore and loads of private and day nurseries having to shut down because they simply cannot afford it the most recent article which was shocking was about relaxing ratios to ease the burden of the cost of living crisis and that's a shocker that's a shocker it's scary to think how out of touch isn't it Sometimes uh, these articles can be about how relaxing a ratio is going to ease the cost of living. No, a lot of you would definitely, and I'm with you on this, were saying that's not possible. We are already stretched enough as it is, one to five, especially with children that young. I mean, can you imagine if there was a, an emergency, a fire drill, one to five, how on earth are you supposed to carry five babies out of a fire? That's just unheard of I just yeah I mean there's serious safety concerns isn't there so unfortunately there doesn't really seem to be a resolution at the moment or at least by the time I'm recording this let's hope by the time this airs you know there's a little bit more hope on the horizon but what help are settings also getting to help our children feel that they're ready for school it's it's difficult it really is Now, I suppose that was a bit doom and gloom. I suppose it was. I'm trying not to be, but you know, that is kind of the reality. And we do kind of have to acknowledge that it's tough. And as much as what we're doing for the children, actually, what what support are we getting? Because we need support as well. Let's let's try and flip it. Let's try and be positive and think, well, actually, okay, there's a lot that's not in our control. Um, what is? What is in our control and what can we do to help our children, our families, and each other? 
Now, the reason I go on to this is because I've actually seen some more research from Pacey and they say that 71% of parents that took part in this research were anxious about their child starting school for the first time in September, with close to half of the parents more anxious than their child. That's really sad. In terms of breaking it down, they said that 36% were anxious about their child making friends, 23% were anxious about them settling into a routine, and 15% were anxious about bullying. And these were the top three concerns of parents in their recent survey. And that's really disheartening, isn't it? Of course, we have um, a responsibility to take care of our children's mental health and how they're feeling about coming into school. But look at our parents and, and carers. There's a lot that they're having to think about too. And especially if it's your first child and you've not been through this process before, it can be really scary. So what can we do as settings to to support them? Now, I know a lot of you are already doing this already. (laughs) We do so many things. We have open days so that families and parents can can come in and see the setting that their children are going to be in. Um, You have stay in play sessions, which actually, even when they're settled in and they've been there, the children have been in the setting for a couple of months or years, they have times when they can come in and play with the children and actually have a setting, a time spent in the setting with them, which is wonderful. If you're in a school, you put on parent presentation evenings where you do, you go through the daily routine, what children will need for school, the uniform. Um, you'll have parents' evenings, parent meetings. There's so many things that you do, which is already amazing. I think, ironically, I think the most important things to support parents is exactly the same as what you do with children. It's the three prime areas, isn't it? It's your personal, social, emotional, your communication and your physical. So let me me break that down if that doesn't make sense. So communication and language. Let's communicate with our parents. Let's have open communication. I would much rather know what is going on I don't care how embarrassed you may feel because I'm not judging and I know you as early as practitioners do not judge. I would rather know what's going on than have to find out later when it might possibly be too late. Okay. So for example, potty training, if your child is not potty trained, okay, that's fine. Let us know because we can work with you on that. You know, I've had lots of families um, who've come into nursery and for whatever reason, their child hasn't been potty trained. Okay. Well, let's work with you. We can get a um, a homeschool diary. We can get a reward chart so that, that when they go to the bathroom, whether it's at school or at home, they get a reward and we can work with you on that. We can keep a diary of their eating habits, their bowel movements. Perhaps that's the reason why um, their potty training is, you know, they've struggled. That's fine. You know, just tell us. And I think it's really important for us as practitioners to let parents know that we are here for them have that open communication you know be honest say look it's fine come and talk to us we are here for you and that brings me on to the next one PSED right our families our parents our carers have also been through COVID their mental well-being is so important not just because it affects them obviously and we care about them but it affects their children too and it impacts on their lives we don't know what's going on at home We also don't know what's going on outside of school life, outside of home life. Parents may be bereaved because of COVID. The financial struggle with the cost of living is going to have a serious impact on our family's mental health. So that is also why communication needs to be there. We need to show them that we are a support network for them too. 
have their mental health well-being in mind be flexible as much as you can and just let them know that you know we're we're quite lucky aren't we that as 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 practitioners we we do have contacts with you know a lot of different services so if they need help with their mental health um, if they need help financially if they need help with this that or the other we're quite lucky that we do have services that we can connect with maybe support groups maybe even within the school you could have a support group or the PTA are really good at doing that coffee mornings meetings just a chat you know sometimes just that little 10 seconds in the morning just to say hey how are you doing really really makes an impact and then I suppose the last one physical you're thinking hmm, what does that mean but you know being physically there is is also important, you know, um, having those contact details there, but, you know, also making sure about the physical things. So financial crisis, are they struggling with uniform? Is there a way that we could look for secondhand clothes? Perhaps your old cohort, some parents have got, you know, uniform that their children have grown out now. Can you ask for that at the end of the year and say, would you mind, this would really help our new families out? You know, are there school book bags um, that you need to think about? And in terms of perhaps admin, you all know the admin for getting ready for school. (laughs) There's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of paperwork. Um, Is there a way that we can help with that? Is there a way we can streamline it? Those are physical things that we could do. And I'm sure you're doing a mixture of all of these things already. I think also home visits are really important because it's a safe place for uh, the families and for the parents and for um, the children to meet their new staff, their new their new teachers and practitioners before official school or nursery or preschool begins. So that could be another thing if you're not doing that already. But of course, you know, with COVID still going on, you know, there are going to be battles, you know, is it going to be virtual? Are you going to do it on the phone? You know, things to think about. But really, you know, what I kind of I'm hoping to drive home for this episode is school readiness is a myth and it's different for everybody, especially for parents and carers and families who are listening. I just want you to know on behalf of all early years practitioners, because we all want you to know this, you are not alone. It does not have to be all on you. Talk to us. Be open with us. Let us know what you're struggling with. Be honest. We're here for you. And, you know, like I said earlier, we might not have everything. Absolutely not. We are also going through COVID, through a cost of living crisis, and we're struggling too, a staffing crisis. You know, it's tough everywhere. But as much as we can, we will be there for you. We will help you. Um, So just a little bit of grace, isn't it? Both ways. Things are hard for everybody. But as long as we do it together, we're going to be okay. I think it's all about community. Early years is about community anyway, isn't it? That's what we at Twinkle are especially trying to do with our social media, with this podcast, you know, develop that community so that we, we're we here for each other. Times are tough, you know, things are not easy. But don't worry about your child being ready for school. We'll work on that with you together. We'll meet your child where they are at and we'll take it from there. And if you needed any more confirmation that this is true I'm going to share some quotes from our listeners and from earliest practitioners themselves because as I said earlier I put out an appeal on social media to say you know what does school readiness mean to you and here are some of the quotes of people that got back to me So Steph says it means being able to communicate with others, use the toilet independently if they can, dress themselves, take shoes on and off. I'm a reception teacher, so many children come to us with the most basic skills and are just not ready to learn. So we have to focus on toilet training, learning to share, etc. before anything else. 
See, nothing to do with reading or writing. Jane says, school readiness means teaching staff need to be ready to receive the children whatever skills they bring. Robin says gross motor skills development and infantile reflexes. Jilly says being happy, settled, taking change in their stride, being inquisitive and starting to have a level of independence. Again, Kirsten says school readiness means being happy, curious and kind, having the ability to share and listen to their peers and beginning to have independence. Natalie says it's about being curious, wanting to learn, beginning to be independent, to be able to play with others and to sit and listen for short periods. Sarah Luddington says, having labelled clothes. I think that's for the parents mainly. That's it. Everything else is different for each child. Naomi says, to be able to come into a setting emotionally happy and ready to engage and explore and learn. But the environment and staff interactions have to be right. I'm doing a bit of work on school being child ready. I like that. That's a better term. Especially down to the effects of COVID. See? And I'll end with this one. Catherine Lowe says that school readiness is a phrase she does not use in her practice. So there we are. You've heard it from the horse's mouth. These are early years practitioners. Not once did they mention about reading, writing, numbers, nothing like that. If you really want to go for it, the prime areas, focus on them. If you want to, communication and language, physical development and personal, social and emotional development. But as you can see here, it's all about the school being child ready. I love that. I'm going to end with that as well. So thank you so much for listening. And if you are a parent, I really do hope this makes you feel a little more at ease about your children starting in early years. It doesn't matter where they're starting. We will meet them where they're at and we will work with you. And we can't wait to have your children. So exciting. So I hope you have a lovely rest of your summer if you are having it. Private settings and day nurseries. I'm so grateful to you for trooping on while everybody else uh, has a summer holiday. I know how difficult it is for you, especially during this staffing crisis. You're amazing. I just want to put that out there. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you again on our next episode. See you soon. So that's it from today's episode. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you really enjoyed it. If you would like to get involved or would like to know more, come and find us on our social media sites. We have a Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest and TikTok account. All of the details will be in the description. And whatever you're doing, I hope you have a great day today. day.